Well, I want to thank you for joining us. Those of you who are here in person, thankful to those who are joining us online as well. Today, we're going to conclude our New Year series from the book of Malachi, where we've been looking at God's standards of excellence. I think it is very appropriate every new year for us to not just remind ourselves of what those standards are, but that we commit ourselves to living up to God's standards. So in preparation for today's message, go ahead and turn to Malachi chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, the scriptures will be up on the screen behind me. While you're looking that up, let's do a quick review of where we've been so far. In week one, we talked about raising the standard of excellence in our life with our spiritual commitment. And we talked at length about uh, giving God our best, not giving him our leftover time, our leftover offerings, uh, because God gave us his very best. And it's important for us to give him our best in return. In week two, we talked about raising the standard of relational excellence, specifically about making good on our commitments, making good on our promises, in all of our relationships, and uh, what the Bible calls covenants. That's another word for promises, making good on those things. Last week, we talked about raising the moral standard of excellence by living a morally pure life. We shared the scripture in Psalm where the guy was saying, it seems like the ungodly people are all flourishing, and here I am struggling. Well, we talked about the eternal blessings that come from living a life where our, our uh, morals are, are proper, where we are living according to the precepts found in God's word. Today, we're going to wrap up this series by, as we look at raising the financial standard of excellence. And what I am going to share with you today is hopefully going to help you to know how to accomplish this kind of excellence in your personal life. Simply stated, financial excellence happens when we apply godly stewardship to the financial resources that God has blessed you and I with. Now, if you've attended this church for any length of time, you know that this is a subject that I choose to speak on just one time a year. Every January, I do this to remind us of our responsibilities as Christians to manage our financial resources in a way that honors God. Because this is highly important to God. So much so that the Bible mentions money and our use of money over 2,300 times. The only topic that exceeds that is when Christ was talking about the kingdom of God. In the 39 famous parables that Jesus spoke, money or stewardship is a theme in 11 of them. And nowhere in the Bible will you find anything where debt is viewed in a positive light. What you will find is a reoccurring theme for God's people to give generously to give a portion of our money to resource both the work of the Lord as well as to help those who are in need. So God has indeed established a standard of excellence for us in our financial dealings. And when we follow his standard, simply put, we prosper. It's the way it works. Now I wanna preface today's message by saying a few things that I really need to share, and this comes from my heart. As a pastor, I've heard some very hurtful words spoken 
throughout my time in ministry about giving, specifically about giving to the church. And the famous line that I always heard here that hurts so much is, uh, all the church wants is my money. You've heard it spoken, right? You've spoken it before, haven't you? Yeah, thank, thank you for being honest. I'm not completely sure where that mindset comes from, but I believe it's a combination of several things. First of all, it's usually spoken from the lips of someone who has yet to been redeemed by Jesus. They haven't allowed Jesus full lordship over their life. And because of that, the kind of change that only Christ can produce within an individual hasn't yet occurred. Therefore, they cannot understand that giving is what Christians do. And I honestly think another reason for this is when people watch a lot of Christian television. When people observe televangelists asking people to give money so that they can buy Lear jets, so they can do more effective ministry. When I hear that, I think to myself, Jesus walked around in sandals. My friend, you don't need a Lear jet to go and speak the word of God. So if that thought has ever crossed your mind, let me first of all say I'm not a televangelist. Yeah, I'm not. I guess I'm borderline now that we're online. Hey, send your money to me. I will never ask you to give money for anything that benefits me personally, especially not a jet. And if you ever find words like that coming out of my mouth, you'd better call the guys with the straight jackets and have them haul me out of here. As the pastor of this church, my main responsibility is to lead people to Christ Jesus. My job is to offer opportunities for people to meet Jesus, to invite him into their lives as Lord and Savior so that he can transform them. Secondly, my job is to disciple and to teach people from the word of God so that their relationship with Christ will grow deeper. And a part of, of growing deeper is studying the word of God and is to teach us about giving and what the Bible has to say about it as well as why in the world we give in the first place. Thirdly, my job is to manage the staff, the ministries, and the finances of this church under the direction, of course, of our church board. And with that comes an obligation it's an obligation to steward the money that this church takes in in an excellent, God-honoring way. And because we do, in fact, steward the resources of this church in an excellent, God-honoring way, you've got to understand that this is a topic that I really enjoy speaking on. In fact, I would be doing you a great disservice if I didn't teach you about giving and what it means to you as a follower of Jesus Christ, as well as the realities of what it means to this church that you attend. And yet while I teach on giving, I'm aware that this concept of giving some of our hard-earned money away is literally counterintuitive to the human mindset. In fact, to some people, the thought is totally inconceivable. 
So the reaction to this teaching from an unrepentant heart for someone who does not yet know Jesus, well, the response can be very negative. But for a believer in Christ to be offended by what I'm gonna be talking about this morning, friends, that should never be. Because stewardship and giving are such a vital element to your Christian walk, it must be addressed. It must be addressed within the church. Because whether you choose to believe it or not, giving is a hallmark of those who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there is a freedom that comes from giving that helps you in literally every other aspect of your Christian journey. Now I've used the word steward and stewardship several times already this morning, so let me explain to you what it means. Stewardship, of course, comes from the root word steward. And to be a steward simply means being a manager. So the very best perspective that I can offer you regarding your personal wealth is to understand that you are just a steward over it. We all are. Same thing holds true for me. It holds true for every one of us. None of what you and I have, none of what we've accumulated over our lifetime belongs to us. The Bible tells us that everything belongs to the Lord. Now, this is where people get stiff. <laughs> what are you talking about, Pastor? I've worked hard for that money. Yeah, you have. And God has blessed you so that you could work hard, so that you could earn that money. Everything is a blessing from our Heavenly Father. You've got to understand that. Let me tell you what the Bible has to say about everything belonging to God. Deuteronomy 10.14, I'm just giving you two examples. I could, I could go on and on, I don't have time. Deuteronomy 10.14, the New American Standard Bible says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. So you and I are simply a steward. We are simply a, a manager of the things that we have during this time that we walk the planet Earth. And the sooner a person can come to that realization, the better off all of us will be in our financial dealings. And this is such a simple realization because it is so easy to prove. Because when you die, everything you own it remains. You can't take your money and your wealth with you. And this only goes to prove that you are a steward. You are not an owner of it. So if you can't relate or, or grasp this idea of developing godly stewardship in your financial life, Godly stewardship meaning managing your finances. Yes, you have to manage. Managing your finances in such a way whereby you can live and give at the same time. Well, you are really missing out on a key element of your Christian walk. But understand you're not alone. You're not. Because to develop giving as a core part of who you are and being able to give joyfully as the word of God tells us to, sadly, that is one of the last things that gets developed in the life of most Christians. For many, it is a process. 
For many, it is a long process that, that, that requires much prayer. It requires a whole lot of trust in God. But ultimately, it requires your obedience. And so if you find what I'm going to be teaching this morning, that it doesn't appeal to your sense of fiscal reality, then you need to take it to the Lord. Don't come and talk to me and say, I don't like what you said. I, I, honestly, if you don't like what I said, that doesn't bother me. I'm preaching the truth to you, and this becomes an issue between you and God and not you and your pastor. So can we clear that up right now? All right. Now, before we get into Malachi, allow me to first explain the three different kinds of giving that we see exhibited within the Word of God. The first is the tithe. You've heard that word a million times. What is the tithe? The tithe means a tenth. The Jewish people practiced tithing. A tenth of everything that they had was given to God. It was referred to as their first fruits. Now understand in the biblical days, they lived in mostly an agricultural society. Yes, there was currency, but it wasn't like today. Everything today drives on currency. People were farmers, people were tradesmen, and they would often barter, they would often trade uh, services for food and for other necessities. Often money would be exchanged, but, but people would also trade for things of equal value. Therefore, giving in that day wasn't always done in the form of, of cash or currency. A tenth of their, but, but a tenth of their harvested crop a tenth of their animals, a tenth of their land, a tenth of herbs in their garden, a tenth of any increase, I'm talking increase, income, something that benefits you, went to God. If God blessed you with a great harvest of wheat, then out of gratitude to him, you gave a tenth of that wheat. Well, how did I give a tenth of wheat? It means you brought it to the temple. If God blessed you with 10 new lambs out of gratitude, you gave God one of those 10 lambs. Tithing is how, throughout the centuries, God has financed his kingdom work here on this earth. And the tithe is the lifeblood of this church and any church for that matter. And the tithe comes from God's people, you and me. Those who are being obedient to God's word and who have grasped this truth about giving in our personal lives. The second type of giving you see in the scriptures is offerings, what we would call uh, free will offerings. Offerings are what are given above the tithe. People would also bring offerings to the temple, again, to express their gratitude to God. Many people who have not yet established the spiritual discipline of tithing often give offerings. And that's a good thing because it's another way that you help to support your church. And through your offerings, whether you know it or not, God is developing a heart of generosity within you that will continue to grow. Some give financially to, to missionaries and other ministry works and other non-for-profit organizations. These are all considered offerings. The third type of giving in the Bible is alms, A-L-M-S, which is money and gifts that are given above and beyond the tithe and the offering to those who are in need. If you know of a person or if you know of a situation where there is great need and you give towards helping that need, you are giving alms. 
So understand, these are the ways in which we as Christians give, and this should be helpful as we talk about godly stewardship. But let me also offer you a little bit of background as we enter into the book of Malachi. Hundreds of years prior to Malachi's arrival, God had clearly spelled out for his people how that they ought to manage their money, their resources with excellence. God said, here's the guidelines. Earn money ethically. No schemes, no corruption, no backdoor deals. You can earn as much money as you'd like, but earn it in an ethical way. Spend money wisely and not foolishly. Avoid destructive debt. Save money consistently for for your future and give generously to those less fortunate than you, the poor. And then God said, as a part of my overall financial management plan, I'm establishing the practice of tithing. Again, the word simply means a tenth or 10%. And the idea behind this practice is that God's people would take 10% of whatever increase that they had earned or received and give it to their place of worship. It was given again as a sample, as, as, a, as a symbol of their thankfulness to God for his provision in their lives as well as for the practical purposes of supporting the ministry at their local worship center or church. So for a long time, people carried out God's guidelines with with excellence and with faithfulness. And because they carried out these principles in an excellent way, everybody won during that time. First, God won because he was honored and he was given appropriate thanks for his graciousness and for his provision. Secondly, God's people won because they stayed out of financial difficulties. They didn't go into unneeded debt. They saved their money and the poor were cared for. And the result of that, and I might add, is always the result of godly stewardship. God's blessing was upon their financial lives as they honored God with the tithe. And third, church ministries won because they were adequately resourced to carry out God's mission on this earth. So when everybody was following God's plan, everybody won. But by the time that Malachi arrives, this standard of financial excellence had had fallen. And man, it had fallen hard. In spite of being taught since their youth about how to honor God with their financial resources, one by one, people began to make unwise God dishonoring financial decisions. They just started to make up their own rules. And this poor stewardship led to people overspending. And when you overspend, then that leads to how am I going to make budget? And their solution was to take the tithe money that they were supposed to be given to God and use that money to balance their budget. Problem solved. Or maybe someone in Malachi's day would hit the financial big time. A windfall of profit would come their way. They'd sell a piece of land, let's say, that it appreciated, or they had a bumper crop, and they were making a ton of money that year. But then when they'd sit down and they'd try to figure out how much 10% of that windfall was, they'd decide, no way, I'm not writing a check that big and giving it to the church. And if God's got a problem with that, then have his people call my people. 
Well, in Malachi's day, the financial standards of excellence had plummeted. And almost everyone had their own reason for not giving the tithe. And not only that, but they got brazen about it. It was like, well, what's God going to do anyway? Well, as we've learned over the last three weeks, Malachi's pretty straight shooter. He doesn't sugarcoat a whole lot. He's kind of an in-your-face kind of a guy. And uh, he's blunt. So I want you to listen to his response in all this. But, but as you do, please understand that these are God's words spoken through the prophet Malachi, because that's what prophets did. They spoke on behalf of the Lord. Look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You were under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me on this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now remember, Malachi is speaking on God's behalf, and God is approaching this topic about as seriously as you will ever read it found anywhere in the scriptures. He doesn't just scold them for their lack of giving, but he says that by not giving, they are really no different than a thief who has been robbing God. And I want you to notice something here. Malachi receives no benefit whatsoever from the tithes and the offerings that went to the temple. So he has absolutely no personal agenda other than to be responsible for what God has called him to do. And I want you to also understand there are no perks that come my way by your giving. I get paid a salary from this church to do those things that I told you about, and whether you give or not doesn't matter. It doesn't affect me. I teach you about giving. The importance for me teaching you about giving is so that you will truly live the blessed life that I have come to enjoy by doing godly stewardship in my personal finances. And, and here's the truth about this. The blessed life that God has designed for you and I will never be complete until you learn to live by these principles of sowing and reaping. And as we read this, it becomes obvious how seriously God takes our, our giving practices. God says through Malachi, because you don't give, you are under a curse because you're robbing me. And can I just say this? I know a lot of people who, to, who appear to be living under a financially cursed life. Always on the edge of financial devastation. Never able to piece things together and seemingly staying in, in the same financial struggle year after year after year after year. Well, Malachi says they're under a curse. And you know, the typical response to this is, well, if, I, if I'm having such a hard time making it financially now when I don't give, imagine how difficult it would be for me to give. And whenever someone says that, do you know what they've just done? They have completely taken God's supernatural element 
totally out of the equation. Because here's something that you've gotta understand. This whole plan that God lays out for his people is only accomplished through the supernatural. And it's found in verses 10 and 11. I'm gonna read it again. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me on this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God says through Malachi, the reason you're dealing with what you are dealing with is because you're not following my plan. And he makes a very profound statement, but it's not just a statement, it's the only scripture where you will find God saying to people, to human beings, test me on this. Put me to the test. Lest you doubt the solution to this problem, just go ahead and test me on this because I will prove to you that my plan works. I will prove to you that through my supernatural blessings, you can indeed give and live at the same time. Now, I know that early on in my Christian walk, I never considered my unwillingness to give to be equal to that of being a thief. And yet apparently God does. I don't know if you've ever been robbed of something before. I have. It's a terrible thing. And so through Malachi, God in essence says, you'd never rob anybody, would you? You'd never rob your friends or, or your neighbors. And the people would say, no, we're, we're constitutionally incapable of doing such a thing. And this is the point where he refuses to overlook the seriousness of this. And he does so by saying, it's true, you probably wouldn't mug your neighbors or friends. So then why in the world would you rob God who you say that you love and who you serve? The one who gave his very best for you by not honoring him in this area that he asked of you. He says, what you're doing is unthinkable and it's gotta stop. Well, let's fast forward to the 21st century because Malachi's words are as true today as they were back then because the people of God are doing the very same thing and more than what the people in Malachi's day did. We too have slipped to a level that severely lacks excellence in our giving and in our stewardship. There is a report that is produced every couple of years called the State of Church Giving in America. And the findings of this report are quite interesting. It reports that only 5% of Christians in the United States give of the tithe. It also revealed that the average church member gives about 2% of their income to the church. And what I found interesting about this is the giving percentage during the Great Depression was actually higher at 3.3%. Did you know that if Christians in America increased their giving to the 10% tithe, there would be an additional $165 billion that would be available for local churches to utilize and to distribute? And if that happened, the church on its own, no government involvement, could either eliminate or, or greatly alter the landscape of the needs within our individual communities and yes, even the whole world. Here are just a few things it was estimated that the church in America could do with this, with this kind of money. 
25 billion could help relieve global hunger and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. 12 billion could eliminate illiteracy within five years. 15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically in places where 1 billion people live on less than $1 a day in earnings. 1 billion could fully fund all overseas missionaries. The extra 100, 110 billion that's left over would be used for additional ministry expansion. The implications of our giving as Christians is enormous. And as you can see by what I just presented to you, the church could eliminate many social ills within our world today. And yet the truth is that many churches are finding it difficult to even keep their doors open. So these stats show that if everybody gave, not only could the churches thrive, but literal billions could be given away to solve real life issues. And when you think about that, how better of a way to spread the gospel message of Jesus Christ than by helping people solve their real life problems? Amen. Let me share with you a common question I've heard many times and asked of me. Why does God need my money anyway, Pastor David? Well, the truth is God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. Amen. This is not a financial subject. This is a heart issue. Due to money being so vitally important to every one of us, when you come to the point of giving some of it away, God knows that a real change has occurred within you. And that's when you begin to trust God in all areas of your life. He knows that you have graduated to a much higher level of faith in him. And you're now opening yourself up for those, those, for, to trusting God to receive those supernatural blessings that he promises you. Another question that is commonly asked is, why does the church ask for money? And I have to tell you, I don't understand that question at all because I think anyone living today understands the costs that are involved in operating anything. Don't believe me? If you've earned a small business, you'll know. Talk to a small business owner hands are in his pocket or her pocket everywhere. I mean, I don't know how small businesses make it in California. And they're dipping in, taxing you for everything. It's hard to turn a profit. It's funny to me how that people don't think twice about paying monthly fees and installments for stuff they don't need and for events and hobbies and differing memberships. But the thought of giving something to the church that they worship in either never crosses their mind or some even get offended with the idea. And, and I can't wrap my brain around that. I'm sorry, I, I just don't get it. You see, this building that we meet in, this beautiful building, this worship center and everything that's attached to it, it didn't just happen. It happened because the people of God had a great vision for this community. They knew this community was gonna grow and they knew that there were gonna be people in this community who desperately needed Jesus. And furthermore, they all sacrificially gave in order toward that vision in order for this vision to occur. And I, for one, am so thankful to the generation who fought enough and gave sacrificially to allow this place to exist. You gotta understand something, there are no government loans or grants of any nature when it comes to the church because of the separation of church and state. 
There's no assistance given to the church whatsoever. In addition to having a place, of a place to do ministry, there are likewise daily expenses required to operate this church. We have a mortgage payment. We have power bills just like you. We have water bills. We pay insurance, a lot of insurance, payroll, so on. Just like you have daily expenses required to live, this church has them as well. They're just much larger than your bills. Do you know we had a $7,000 July power bill just air conditioning this place? Imagine if you got a $7,000 power bill one day. They'd probably have the ambulance come taking you to the hospital because you'd have a coronary at that moment. And in addition to all this, our church wants to be able to do more things, to reach out and, and bless our community. Every one of those efforts costs something to do. And whether you believe it or not, I don't have an ATM chute that comes down from heaven into my office and I say, God, we need this money. And whoa, doesn't happen that way. It happens through you. You resource this church. So this church lives by faith. Every day, just like you live by faith every day, that our needs will be provided for. And because God owns everything anyway, just like he provides for your needs, he provides for the needs of this church. But he provides for the needs of this church through the giving of his people, you and me. That's how this place exists, in case you were wondering. And as we mature in our faith collectively, together, and all of us begin to believe God's promises and start to give fully to the Lord, our church will be able to accomplish even greater things. Bottom line is this, if every one of us began to live this truth out in our individual lives, if every one of us began to trust God by the paying of the tithe, there would be nothing that we couldn't accomplish for the Lord here in Red Bluff. Our mortgage could be paid off so quickly it would make your head spin, and the money that we pay to the bank every month could be poured into greater and more effective ministry to this community. There are so many things that we could do. We've had many ideas, we just can't afford to do them. All have a cost that are attached to them. We could support more missionaries around the world who are doing the work of the Lord on minimal finances, and just to let you know, we support a boatload of them. We are a mission, missions-driven church. What you give goes out of this place to support missionaries, not only in America, but mostly abroad and overseas. We could bless other churches in our community who are struggling just to keep their doors open. They can't even afford to pay a pastor. So you've got bivocational guys. I don't know how they do it, they're my heroes. I know how much time I spend during the week preparing to talk to you on Sunday. And I can't imagine working a 40, 50 hour a job, hour week, and then coming in and being able to do the same thing. I guarantee you the quality would not be there because I just wouldn't have time to do it. I can only dream of what we could accomplish as a church if every one of us played our part in this. And I pray that you'll pray about it and see where you will fit in. I see, I bored somebody. I heard somebody yawn. I'll try to, I'll try to make it more interesting. I promise. This is exciting to me. It may not be to you, but it's exciting to me. So I'm rolling. Listen, yeah, okay. I believe that you are blessed whenever you give. 
But I also believe that when you give, it is your attitude toward your giving that plays a big part in receiving those supernatural blessings that God promises us. I'm talking about those unexplainable things that happen in your finances that just don't make any sense. When on paper, there just isn't enough money to pay all of your bills and your tithe, and yet both get paid and all your needs are still taken care of. And this is a direct result of another thing mentioned in Malachi's, in our our scripture reference this morning in Malachi chapter three, verse 11. Most people overlook this part of it, where he says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Because they lived in a predominantly agricultural society, God refers specifically to their crops in verse 11. But I like how the King James Version says it. It's a more broad stroke statement. God says this, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. What is the devourer? It is anything that creates a loss or added expense to your finances. So let me give you some modern day examples of what rebuking the devourer may look like in the 21st century. And these are real examples from real people that I've talked to over the years. When your hot water heater that has a normal lifespan of eight to 12 years and yours lasts for 22 years. When your car continues to run, even after the mechanic told you that you needed a new fuel pump. And you say, Lord, I can't afford this fuel pump. You lay your hands on the hood of your car and you say, heal my car, Lord. And it goes. When you're convinced that your air conditioning unit on your house has completely died because it's been there since the house was built, when all it needed was a $150 capacitor. When you find out that you're getting a tax refund that you were not expecting or a check from the federal government. When for some strange reason, your rent or your mortgage payment declines, it's reduced. When you receive an unexpected check from a relative or from a friend or for something that happened 10 years ago that you forgot all about. It's like finding out that that something that you thought was out of warranty is covered by an obscure line within your warranty that you knew nothing about. Every giver can share example after example of things that have occurred in their life where they didn't encounter an expense when they should have. Or they can share times when a financial blessing came their way right out of left field. It was totally unexpected. And all of these things, folks, are supernatural events. And they are God's way of blessing you and rebuking the devourer in your life. When God rebukes the devourer, that translates into more of your resources staying with you, not just to meet your needs, but at the same time, allow you to give faithfully. And this all begins by knowing God blesses each one of us so that we in turn can be a blessing to others. And so that we can provide for the work of his church so that his ministry can be accomplished here on this earth. You know, when you go through the Bible, it's exciting to see how the scriptures lay out the many promises and the many blessings that flow through our obedience to God. 
Because in each one of them, you will always find a conditional statement within. There is a condition in order for the the blessing or for the promise to occur. And yet we tend to overlook the conditional part that requires our participation. In other words, there is often a formula found in the scriptures, formulas for success, and the reason why God's promises work in the first place. Let me give you a couple examples. Luke 6.38, it says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. Here's the condition. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Here's another one, 2 Corinthians 9.6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Both of these scriptures reference generosity and the kind of blessing that comes through your personal approach to giving. You give in good measure, that's how it's going to be measured back to you. You sow generously, you can expect to to reap generously. But the key is that first, you need to learn to give in order to receive those blessings. If you don't give, God cannot give back to you, therefore you cannot reap generously. There's a condition. It requires participation on your and my part. And as we can clearly see, God blesses you whenever you give, but my approach to teaching on giving is never to tell you to give in hopes of receiving something in return. I mean, giving to the work of the Lord or to someone who is in need is not some certificate of deposit that you invest in expecting to earn interest from. No, you give because it is the right thing to do and because it is spelled out for us within the scriptures. You give out of obedience to God as a child of his. You give out of a thankful heart of what Christ has done in your life. You give so that the ministry of Jesus Christ can continue on within your community and so that the lost might someday receive salvation in Christ Jesus. And you give to this place that you call your church home so that it can exist. Having said that, there are undeniable blessings that flow to you through your giving as the word of God clearly shows us. But here's the reality. Out of all the spiritual disciplines that should be an ongoing part of the life of a follower of Jesus, there really isn't one that is more universally difficult to grasp than this call to give, this call to be a faithful giver. The ability to become a generous giver and doing so with joy in your heart is sadly one of the last things that gets developed in the life of most Christians. And as I said earlier, for many, it's a process. It involves prayer. It involves trust. But ultimately, you know what? It's all about obedience. It requires your obedience. And as I said earlier, many people think they can't afford to give. And so they'll, think, they'll say things like this, I'm waiting for God to bless me with more money before I can give. Or when I get out of school, or when I get that new job, or when my business increases, or when I pay off that final debt, then I will become a giver. And honestly, that mentality goes just the opposite direction of faith. 
Instead of saying, when this happens, I can finally afford to give. Faith says, you can't afford not to give. You can't. You see, God's blessings come through your faithfulness and your trust in his faithfulness. So when you don't give, he can't prove to you his faithfulness. And if you're wondering why certain blessings seem to sidestep you or why it seems like nothing ever changes in your financial life, have you ever thought that it might be due to the fact that you've never brought yourself to the point of trusting God enough to give in the first place? I have a friend who spent 20 years in the mission field. And like most missionaries, they live on a shoestring budget. And at times, many times, there was just never enough. And you know what he told me? He said, David, whenever I had a need, I gave. He said, it makes no sense to anybody else, but it makes sense to me. Because every time I gave out of my need, whenever I gave when I could least afford to, my need was always met. He said, money always came in. Money I was never expecting and usually from sources who had never given to my missionary work before. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the supernatural part that I'm talking about. God orchestrates blessings for his children. This is the kind of trust that God wants us to have in this area of our Christian life. And let me just say that God is always patiently waiting for you to take that initial step of faith in your giving so that he can prove to you that what old Malachi is talking about here is true. In other words, we give out of gratitude. We give out of obedience. That's why we give in the first place. That is our part of the process. But that's when God steps in. And through our obedience, he provides blessings as a result of our giving. And there are hundreds of people listening to my voice this morning who understand and who have experienced God's blessings throughout their giving. And you know what? They will never not give the rest of their lives because it's a part of their Christian lifestyle. And they would never, ever think of going back. Listen, what I am sharing with you this morning, I have lived out in my personal life. Besides my salvation, there is nothing I am more sure of than what I am teaching you this morning. This isn't something that I've conjured up. This is a principle found in God's word, and it works. God truly blesses those who give. And I have found his blessings actually begin to overwhelm you. He just keeps getting better to me all the time. And the more I give, guess what? The more he blesses me. Here's the truth. I can't outrun God's blessings. He has blessed me so much. I, I'm almost ashamed to tell you. He's blessed me so much. And he's blessed me through you people. Not just financially, but, but by the relationships, the rich relationships that he has given me in this church. And you all bless me. Every Christmas, every pastor appreciation, you all send me out to dinner and you're giving me checks and money. And, and, and I can't outrun his blessings. I thank you for that. But God blesses you so that you can bless me. And God blesses me so that I can give. And I give as well. I want you to understand that. This is so exciting. This is exciting stuff that I wish that all of you would experience yourself. That you would experience this supernatural activity in your life. It will revolutionize your life. Trust me. Believe me when I tell you that. So when we get to the point of finally trusting God as he asked us to in the book of Malachi, let me just add a few tips 
that I think will help you. First of all, when you give, give willingly. You, you should give because you want to give. Giving to God is a voluntary thing. Don't give because you think I'm pressuring you to give. I'm not pressuring you to give. I'm pressuring you to understand the principles found in God's word and then be obedient to them and then watch him bless you. Giving to God is a voluntary thing. Give because you want to and consider it a privilege to do your part to make sure the needs of God's house are met and do it with a grateful heart. Secondly, when you give, give quietly. Don't boast about what you're giving. That's between you and God. You give in secret, never to receive the accolades of man, but you give through obedience to receive unending blessings from your heavenly father. So whatever you give and whether you're excited that you were able to give so much or whether you're disappointed that you couldn't, couldn't give more, keep that between you and God. Thirdly, when you give, give generously. The tithe belongs to the Lord. The first fruits go to God. I don't think any of us would, would dispute that. Once you start tithing, then you begin to exercise your faith to the point of giving offerings and alms as well. And as you do that, his blessings only continue to grow in your life. You can never outgive God. You just can't. Because if you try to do that, he will just simply continue to bless you and you will just continue to give more and more and more as he floods you with blessings. And I praise God for that. Scott, will you guys come forward? Or actually, I guess the keyboardists. We're just gonna have a keyboard this morning. Come forward, help me close this down. I wanna read a scripture to you in 2 Corinthians 8, 7. This is the Apostle Paul writing this. He says, but just as you excel in everything, in complete earnestness and in love for us, see to it that you excel in this grace of giving. Paul calls this ability, this willingness to give as a grace, the grace of giving. And I don't know about you, but I want to excel in the grace of giving. Because once we learn to be free in our expression of gratitude and love to God through our financial giving, then I believe God knows that we finally get it. He knows that he fully has our heart. He knows that we fully trust in him for literally everything. And so I challenge you today, if you've never been able to bring yourself to the point of giving, ask God to create that kind of trust in you towards him. And as he does, begin to give openly. Begin to give without fear, without reservation, and, and practice giving generously in your personal life. And here's the key to it all. And this, I believe, is the hinge point here. It's in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I can stand up here until I'm blue in the face and express to you the many reasons why you should give. I can do my best to explain to you the many blessings that I have received and other people that I know have received in my personal giving. But truthfully, truthfully folks, it will not become real to you until you believe it. Most importantly, you're not gonna believe it until you test God as he says and actually do it. Until you go from, well, I, I feel like I need to give because pastor just spoke a sermon on giving this Sunday and, and I feel, I'm feeling under pressure to, I want to give 
because I know that what God has in store for me is greater than anything that I've experienced in my financial life up until this point. Ladies and gentlemen of High Point, that's when God's promises and provision will be released in your life. Well, that's my New Year's once a year message on giving, on stewardship, and how important it is to your Christian walk and to your church. This is truth from the Word of God that literally will change your life. But as always, I'm not just going to present you with something without following it up with a challenge. I believe it's important to give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard this morning. I'd like the ushers to go ahead and get in position. Uh, you have some envelopes, I understand. Could somebody bring me an envelope since I didn't take one? Thank you. Ushers, why don't you come down to the front here? Start at the front and work your way to the back. I have an envelope and I'd like every family to take one. If you're a single individual, please take one as well, but don't take multiples for a family because we, we won't have enough to hand out. One per family, one per single individuals. I have two opportunities for you this morning. I'll give these guys a chance to hand this out and then we'll, we'll discuss this real quick. Just raise your hand if you need one so the ushers can, uh, can count, pass them down. Anybody not get one, would like one, raise your hand. like everybody's been taken care of. Well, first of all, if you are a person who has considered becoming a tithe payer by giving a tenth of your income to the work of the Lord, but for whatever reason, you haven't been able to take that leap of faith, we as a church, we wanna help you by taking that leap of faith with you. How do we do that? Well, I wanna present to you something that we have done over the past nine years here. It was something that a friend of mine who's a pastor of a church told me about, and we've been doing it over the last nine years here at High Point. We call it the 90-Day Tithe Challenge. And it's something that many families and individuals have taken us up on over the years. Here's the challenge. If you would be willing to begin paying your tithe for 90 days, and you can decide whatever month it is that you want to start in, at the end of those 90 days, if God has not made good on his promise, to provide for your needs while at the same time giving to the work of the Lord. Upon your notification, all you gotta do is call the office. We will give every dime you gave back to you. We'll write a check back to you. We can either mail it to you or you can come by the office and pick it up. If, however, after the 90 days, you realize that God's word is true, you were able to pay your tithe, you were able to meet your needs, then welcome to the body of tithe payers here at High Point Assembly. In essence, we are offering to help you to test God, to see that what he says in Malachi is true. And we do this not to get your money. I want you to understand that. Our church is very healthy financially, but you need to give because it's an opportunity for you to see God prove his promises in your life. Not to mention it is a responsibility for all of us to give for the work of the kingdom. And you begin to live a life that where these supernatural elements will start to occur. A light will finally come on and you'll say, I finally get it. Why haven't I been doing this sooner? Because you're gonna see God transform your financial life. And this isn't some gimmick. For some of you, you may feel that it is. I'm just, I'm not trying to be cute here. I am trying to help you to make a much needed step of faith in your financial life as a follower of Christ 
by overcoming your fears, because as I said, this step can dramatically change your life. My second challenge to you this morning is there's a card in there that says Kingdom Builders. This is for those who have already stepped out in faith. You've paid your tithe. You know the blessings that come from that. You've experienced those supernatural blessings. This is an opportunity to be a part of something we call Kingdom Builders. We've done this over the last 90 years. We've had a minimum 30 families, as many as 65 families who have decided to become Kingdom Builders at our church. A Kingdom Builder is a person who loves to give. They believe they exist to help support the work of the Lord. They derive a great deal of excitement in their giving, knowing that God has an intended purpose for what they're giving to be fulfilled. Kingdom Builders commit to giving an additional $100 a month or $1,200 a year to help us with debt reduction, much needed renovations, maintenance, and upgrades on our 35 plus year old facility. These extra funds are earmarked specifically for items that are outside of our operating budget. And they are utilized at the discretion of our church board. It's a perennial program that we've done year after year after year. And my hope is that those of you who have participated all along and participated last year will continue to participate in 2022 and continue on. But we'd like to see more people participate. To the church, Kingdom Builders becomes like an annuity. And every year we can take a big bite out of debt. Just to let you know, at the end of uh, 2021, we were able to send a principal check on our mortgage of $50,000, one big payment of 50 grand because of our Kingdom Builders. At the same time, Kingdom Builders has allowed us to do a lot of renovations here. Um, help us to pay during my tenure here, the stone wall behind me, the new carpeting in the sanctuary, the new sound system that we have, the new air conditioning units for our sanctuary, our parking lot that we just refurbished, which was in almost a $90,000 uh, cost, the remodeling of the exterior of our building, Kingdom Builder money went to help all of that. And we're so thankful for our Kingdom Builders who faithfully give each year to allow us to be able to do these things. And I know I said, don't, don't talk about what you give, and I hope I'm not breaking the rule here, but I think it's important for me to tell you, I would never ask you to be a part of something that I'm not willing to be a part of myself. Lisa and I have been Kingdom Builders every year since we have been here, and we will continue to be, we will continue to be Kingdom Builders for as long as we are your pastor at High Point Assembly. So to tell you, like I always say to you, we got skin in the game, folks. We give to this church, just like you do. It's what we do. Now, I would normally have a third way for you to participate. We normally have an initiative every year, such as the parking lot, such as the sound system. And, and we ask people who can't commit to being a kingdom builder to give something towards that cause. Well, we're not ready to tell you what our initiative is because we're still putting together costs of what these items are going to be. And um, I wanna be able, when I present it to you, to present it to you with facts. And so stay tuned. We'll talk about that down the road away later on in this, uh, this year. So inside the envelope, you have two things that you receive from the ushers. One is the 90 day challenge. One is Kingdom Builders. I want you to take this home. I want you to pray about it. And if you decide you wanna take us up on either one of those, please bring it back with you on Sunday, February the 13th and drop it in the offering receptacles that we have out in the, forward, in the uh, foyer of the church so that we know who is going to participate in either of these programs. I wanna thank you for your attention today. 
I know this isn't a soul-winning message. And you may say, well, you know, it doesn't even really encourage me in my walk. Well, it should. Because this is an incredible part of your Christian journey. And as I said, if it's not something that you've been able to grasp, you need to. Because it'll change your thinking on everything. It literally does. It literally transforms your thinking. And when your thinking is changed, your actions are dramatically changed. And that's what God can do in the life of an obedient service servant. I know this has been a little different, but it's important to you. And it's important to your church as well. Next Sunday morning, we're going to be calling Celebrate Recovery Sunday. We're going to be celebrating CR's 10th anniversary next Sunday. We will have some powerful testimonies of changed lives. And we're going to end the service with communion together. It's going to be a powerful week, and it's something you don't want to miss. So I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. Uh, not just to come to church, but also to encourage this vital ministry in our church that has made such a difference in so many people's lives. So join us next Sunday morning. Would you all stand, please? I want to go ahead and close this service in prayer. Again, thank you for your attention today. I think I went about 10 minutes longer than I normally do. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for old Malachi. I can't imagine his job was easy, Lord, because he had some pretty harsh things to say. But Lord, we know the reason you are adamant about things is because you know that your plans work. Things that you establish for us are established for our well-being and no one else. And it's all about our heart, drawing closer to you and trusting and believing in you for all things. So God, as we go our separate ways today, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just help us to be reminded of our responsibilities to manage our financial lives in a God-honoring way. And that we do have a responsibility to give and to give generously and to give trusting you that you will take care of the rest as you always do. Father, just build a, build a trust in us in this area. As I said, it's, a, it's one of the last things that comes along with a lot of people. But God, in time, in time, I pray that you'll do a work in all of our lives and make us understand that we can't afford not to give. It's a part of your plan. It's a part of the life of being a Christian. So help us this week, Lord, as we go our separate ways. I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct our steps, the places we go, places that we go, the things that we talk about, and that those conversations that we have would be meant to build up and not tear down. I pray that we would shine like bright lights in a very dark world, and that brightness would be your love shining through us. And through that brightness, God, the people would even come to us and say, what is it about you that's different? You're different than everybody else. And boom, you open that door for us to share your goodness with them. Give us all an opportunity to do that this week. I also ask, Lord, you'll keep us safe from sickness and disease until we gather together in, again next week, come together as a family to worship you in spirit and in truth. As we go our separate ways, keep us safe in everything. Keep our minds focused upon you. And Father, help us to find out ways in which we can fit in to giving to your kingdom and to those who are in great need. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here.